the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. ICR Golden Valley. From Wall Street to your street. Tune in on the go with our free app. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. President Biden's job approval rating continues to lag as the 2024 campaign heats up. Here's White House correspondent Greg Cluxton. According to the Real Clear Politics average of polls, 41% of Americans approve of Joe Biden's job performance, while 54% disapprove. That reflects a series of recent surveys showing low approval ratings fueled by unhappiness over the president's handling of the economy. Recent polls also have shown little enthusiasm for Joe Biden's decision to run for re-election. Greg Clugston, Washington. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch says emergency measures taken during the COVID-19 crisis were perhaps, in his words, the greatest intrusion on civil liberties in the peacetime history of the country. The 55-year-old conservative justice points to orders closing schools and churches. This is SRN News. I always thought that tires would be more expensive at a dealership, but Invergrove Hyundai proved me wrong. Hi, it's Mike from Rosemont. I knew I needed a new set of tires before winter. My go-to is usually my warehouse club because, hey, they're a warehouse club, right? They have to have the best deal. I bought two cars at Invergrove Hyundai, and they're great to work with, so I thought I'd just see what they had to offer. I told Tyler what I usually spend and asked if he had a good set of tires in that price range. He gave me a great quote, and it was a few bucks under my limit on a set of four tires. Plus, he got me in and out in an hour. If you need tires, skip the specialty shop and the warehouse clubs and give Invergrove Hyundai a call. Let them know what you need, and they'll take care of you like they did for me. Invergrove Hyundai's service technicians are ready for you no matter what kind of vehicle you drive. Open 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. weekdays. Call them today or schedule your appointment at InvergroveHyundai.com. That's InvergroveHyundai.com. Did you know you were kicking in your mommy's tummy before you were born? We were? Yep. I just learned at school that babies move and kick before they're even born. No, no wonder we're so good at soccer. That's right, kids. A pre-born baby is moving about and even kicking just 14 weeks from conception. Hello, my name is Marianne Koharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of information and alternatives to abortion, or you'd like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, Please call 1-800-366-7773, 1-800-366-7773, or visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. Portions of this program may have been pre-recorded. The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Turn all the lights on and kill the noise. 
The Biz 1440 presents the best two hours of economic news and commentary. It's the King Banyan Show. How about a Fresca? Your source for penetrating economic insight, razor-sharp analysis, and unflinching universal thought. Everything you need to maintain clarity and stay ahead of the economic curve. Now, here's Professor King Banyan. He's a strange doctor. Strange doctor. We finally made it to campus. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. Thank you for spending time with us today. Um, 651-289-4477, the number to call. Um, haven't heard from him for a while, but our next guest is uh, is not a stranger to The King Banyan Show. Glad to have him back. His name's Phil Kirpin. He is uh, president of uh, American Commitment. Uh, and uh, I thought I saw this piece earlier, but then a couple of weeks ago, it rolled around to me again. It's like, this is a topic that I know our listeners care about. And even I personally care about because I'm reaching that age where, where I need to start thinking about what, where my money goes in uh, pensions. And because I'm a public employee, I have a pension that's controlled by a public agency. Uh, Phil, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So this is a piece about... Um, about uh, that about uh, a veto, and the first time President Biden has vetoed a bill is a bill that passed with a bipartisan majority, obviously. Um, that um, that uh, was um, about uh, a sort of an arcane rule about fiduciary duty, right? Do you want to explain some of that uh, to our listeners, please? Yeah, I will do my best. Uh, stop me if it's confusing or doesn't make sense, because I, I, it's, uh, li- this was literally the veto of a bill that overturned a rule that reversed a previous rule. So it's like a triple or quadruple negative, and uh, it gets very confusing very quickly. I okay. think the best way to tell the story is chronologically, and so that's how I'll try to do it. And as I said, stop me if I'm not making sense. Basically, okay. about five or six years ago, the... Uh, Liberal uh, activist investors on Wall Street came up with this idea that they could redefine what the word fiduciary means. And up until that point, you know, for hundreds of years, it always meant a fiduciary had to act in the financial interests of the people who entrusted their money to the to the fiduciary. And uh, it, that's always just been, that's been the definition of the word. But you know, liberals love to redefine words to advance their agenda. And we've seen this in a lot of other areas as well. And so they came up with this idea, what if fiduciary means acting in the interest of your investors, but it doesn't have to be the financial interest. It might be the non-pecuniary interests of your investors to, say, solve climate change or advance LGBTQ or social justice or whatever other left-wing objective. Perhaps the, the advancing the non-pecuniary or non-financial interests of your investors is actually what's in their best interest, and therefore your fiduciary duty is to do that, to help them with those of non-financial objectives, even if it means less money in their account, less money uh, come retirement time. And of course, um, if you allow a redefinition of the word fiduciary in such a fashion, you've redefined it into meaninglessness, because anyone could always say whatever subjective non-financial values justify lower returns, and now you have no protection at all uh, from the existence of a fiduciary rule. And so uh, the Trump administration's Labor Department 
prohibited this by rule. They issued a rule that says fiduciary means what it always used to mean. It means acting in the financial interests of the people whose money you're managing in a retirement account. Um, and you cannot consider so-called non-pecuniary factors. Then Biden came in, his Labor Department repealed the Trump rule and said anything goes, fiduciary can mean whatever you want it to mean, you know, go nuts, essentially. And Congress, rather miraculously, actually mustered enough votes to stop this, to reverse the Biden rule and to put the Trump rule back in. So they passed like a one-paragraph bill that basically said the Biden rule is invalidated and the Trump rule is back in. Fiduciary actually means acting in the financial interests of your investors again, like it always used to. And Biden vetoed it. And so, like I said, it's like a triple or quadruple negative. But the bottom line is Biden's veto, which was unfortunately sustained, Biden's veto means that uh, the managers of, the, of retirement funds can consider so-called non-pecuniary factors as part of their fiduciary obligation, which in practice means they don't really have a fiduciary obligation. They can pursue left-wing politics, even if it means less money for you come retirement. And so, and so we're visiting with Phil Kirpin, president of uh, American Commitment. Um, and Phil, I think let's let's be clear. Let's be clear on why would you do it? Why would you actually? Why would you actually make this change? Except for the fact that what this does is, in essence, steer money. It allows a financial manager to steer money towards something that they might personally prefer that feeds their political views relative to relative to just having to be judged on the basis of did you return more than the S&P 500 right you can now justify um having lower returns and say oh yes but we are a socially responsible investment fund and we we have goals other than other than beating the S&P 500 well, I don't think I don't think anyone has a problem with ESG funds that say they're ESG funds that say you know we're going to advance you know uh, fight climate change and social justice or whatever it is. If that's what people choose to invest in, that's Correct. fine. That's their choice. This is about when someone is managing someone else's money. This is about people who are running retirement funds, uh, which are federally regulated. And you know the only reason that I think that they want that you know that the Biden administration pursued this rule and that the activist investors redefined the word in the first place uh, creating the need for the Trump rule is because they see this as a way to advance uh, left-wing agenda items that they cannot accomplish through the political system by controlling large pools of capital and in particular a lot of this is about uh, energy policy and boycotting fossil fuels I mean that's like the number one thing on the agenda of all of the ESG funds and the activist investors and everyone who's pushing this stuff and you know they boycott the oil and gas sector they, they want to make it so that if you have an oil or gas project you won't be able to finance it. You won't be able to raise the funds to pay for it, and uh, they think that they can kill oil and gas that way, you know, e even more aggressively than what they've been able to accomplish through rules and regulations. And that's why the ESG funds had such a bad year in 2022, because it was a good year for oil and gas. And, you know, when you right. boycott a sector, uh, you know, some years you'll do well. So the years where oil and gas did poorly and tech did well, the ESG funds look good. But as soon as oil and gas has a good year, 
They look terrible. And, of course, if you're investing for the long term, you want to be well diversified. You don't want to boycott a major sector. And so I think that a lot of this is about the anti-fossil fuel agenda, although there's other stuff mixed in here, too, obviously, with the with the social justice stuff and kind of the critical race activism and the gender mania. All of that plays into this also. But I think that what, what we're seeing is kind of woke capital has discovered that uh, they can – accomplish a lot of their objectives you know above and beyond what they could ever get through the political system and they're not content to do it with their own money they want to do it with other people's money too uh by getting retirement funds and particularly large state pension funds which have enormous amounts of uh money assets under management on board with all of this and uh you know the one potential stumbling block they had was you know if you do this too aggressively and you harm your investors and there's a strong fiduciary rule in place you're going to have litigation risk and so if they can get rid of that by saying no actually anything goes as a fiduciary then all the guardrails are off yeah so so phil i this reminds me and i'm old enough to remember this i'm not sure how old you are but i you may be too old you may be too young to remember Back when I first became a, an academic in the 80s, okay, eventually, I'll, my first few years, I had to invest in a public fund, which is the kind of thing you're talking about. So state boards of investment around the country under this rule don't have to worry about anyone ever claiming to them, you know, un, under this rule, don't ever have to worry about someone coming forward and saying, you invested in, in you invested in, you know, woke capital and you're costing me money and I'm going to take you to court. Right. It's relative to that. I, right. I remember, uh, when I, when I first got, when we first were able to get out of the state investment fund and act and go to TIA craft, TIA or craft, the, 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 the mutual fund portion of it offered you a way to invest that was called, was called social, socially responsible investing. Right. And they actually had a social fund in CREF. You put, I put some money in it in my first few years, okay, and I, and in retrospect, in a very misguided uh, attempt to try to uh, try to uh, express my displeasure over apartheid in South Africa, because that was that's the first boycott movement I can recall. But isn't this all of a piece of you know boycott apartheid back in the eighties? Uh, BDS versus companies that invest in Israel. And this is all like of this one large piece where people are trying to steer steer private invested dollars towards social goals. This is like all one part of this. And now we're just going to say, yep, you can do that. Anything goes. Uh, yeah, I think it's a continuation of some of those earlier efforts. And, um, you know, I, as, as I said, when you're managing your own money, if you've got political objectives that you want to weave into your investment strategy, I, fine, I'm for it. When you're managing someone else's money, uh, I think you have to be very, very yep. careful what you allow. And I think Trump got this right. I mean, you can't allow for consideration of non-financial factors because once you do, uh, anything goes and someone can pursue their own political agenda with your money. And I think that I, and this is a point that I, I've raised with other with we've talked about this issue with with another uh, with with another guest, Phil. And to me, it goes back to the old question of, you know, Milton Friedman, what's the what's the responsibility? What's the responsibility of, of the of the corporation? What's the responsibility of the fund manager? OK, if I give you money in a, something that you market to me and called it social, you know, the social fund, then if you and if you say I'm never investing in a cigarette com in a tobacco company, 
it's like, yeah, okay, I gave you the money for that purpose. That's cool. But, but how do you know, you know, in my teacher fund, how do you know where I wanted you to put the money? Because you just, you, you just get to do whatever you want. Right. That that's exactly correct. You've got an agent principle problem, and uh, you know the the only objective standard is one where the uh, agent is is required to pursue maximum risk adjusted returns. Uh, you can't once you allow anything else, you've essentially allowed anything to go, and uh, that's correct. the problem yeah. with this current Biden rule. Yeah. Okay. So hang on the line for a few moments uh, uh, while while we uh, sell some products here. Uh, Phil Kirpin uh, from American Commitment. When we come back, this actually happened back in March. I'm interested in knowing whether or not what's happened since then. Is there any attempt to try to find other workarounds and, and so forth? Because I, this is kind of a really a bad, this is a bad rule that's kind of slipping under the radar as far as I'm concerned, uh, but uh, has major implications, I think, for how how uh, investment in the United States happens. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz, 1440. From South St. Paul to Southeast Asia and Little Canada to regular-sized Canada, we're where you are. Listen to The Biz 1440 anytime, anywhere at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Okay, we are running a car drive right now to help veterans all across America. So if you have an old car, truck, or van, even a motorcycle or an RV sitting around, you can right now give it away and help the vets. They really need your help. And your car will help support the vets and their families. And guess what? You even get a tax donation. Plus, we'll even come and pick up your car for free. And all you've got to do is pick up your phone right now and make a free call. Now is the perfect time. Time to do something good for the vets. Give back to the vets right now for all they've done for this country. And your old car can really help them. So call the Veterans Car Donation Program right now for free pickup of your vehicle. Help the vets and help your taxes at the same time. Call right now. 800-884-9018. 800-884-9018. That's 800-884-9018. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today, or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. Charlie Kirk here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, 
keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. The Ramsey Show. And your husband's going to step up and get a backbone and deal with this because you're going to end up really further pissed at him if you don't. Yeah, you're going to end up losing your marriage over this. The Ramsey Show. Live every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4. Welcome back, King Daniel Show, the Biz 1440, visiting uh, this half hour with uh, Phil Kirpin from American Commitment, um, who has written a piece about uh, ESG investing and the Biden veto of the rule. Uh, two questions I have. First of all, I want to take people through your analysis of, of how much less people make uh, when you have the money put into these ESG funds. This is actually costing costing pension plans real money correct oh yeah no question about that as i said you know 2022 uh was a particularly bad year for the for esg style investing uh, because uh as as we mentioned you know boycotting oil and gas was a pretty foolish thing to do uh last year where it was sort of an outperformed sector so you know it depends you know on what time period you look at there were a couple of years where the esg type uh in the ESG type funds looked pretty good. And of course, during those years, the argument we were getting from their proponents was, you know, it's, you're going to save the world and also it's better for you. You'll get higher investment returns. And of course, what we said is, um, well, if, if you can get higher returns, you should have no problem with a traditional, traditional fiduciary rule. And of course, there have been many time periods where they've not gotten superior returns. And, you know, I used, I have a couple of analyses that I cite. Uh, in the article we've been talking about, uh, the mm-hmm. the one that I found was really interesting was one by Second Vote Analytics that Andy Puster's, uh group did. And they looked at the S&P 900, which is the S&P 500, plus the next 400 largest mid-cap companies, mm-hmm. and they the only found yep. 221 uh, that they thought were politically neutral uh, based on their criteria. But the politically neutral companies, they did a 10-year look back. The politically neutral companies were up over 300%, and the market was only up 200%. And so you had a 50% outperformance over the last 10 years for companies that focused on business as opposed to politics, uh, which were the relatively small number of companies, which ought to tell you something. Uh, and then another um, another analysis that I also cited was by a former BlackRock executive, Terrence Keeley, who soured on what they were doing on ESG, and he did an analysis uh, he did a five-year analysis uh, ending in t- 2020, ending in 2022, so ending in that bad year for ESG. And he said if you did a five-year look back, uh, $10,000 in an average ESG fund uh, would have grown to 13500 uh compared to an overall market uh, investment would have been over 15000 So he, he found a, a difference of over $2,500, um, pretty significant, uh, uh, sorry, of over $1,700. So pretty significant uh, $1,700 difference on a 10000 investment over five years. So this is not beneficial. Investors clearly on a look-back basis would have done much worse with this style of investing versus uh, just tracking the indexes. And, uh, you know, the the, the point that, that we've been making, as I said, is if it really is better for investors, as they keep saying, then you don't need to have a fake rule that says you consider non-pecuniary factors. You should be fine with one based on the traditional concept of you know, r- risk-adjusted 
financial returns being the standard. And so uh, it has been expensive. And, you know, I, I want to mention, you know, a lot of people, they say, well, what can we do about this? Because Biden vetoed it. You know, maybe Congress will be able to attach it on something else and try to pass it again. But for now, this is the rule. Fund managers are allowed to do this stuff. So what can we do about it? And I would encourage people to go to pensionpolitics.com, which is the new project site of Committee to Unleash Prosperity, which is another group I work with. And we actually have uh, rated about 800 investment companies based on how they vote on proxy votes, whether they vote for all the crazy left-wing ESG uh, shareholder proposals. And you can see, you can see how your shares are being voted, which is a very good indicator of the style of investment and the philosophy of these different fund managers. And if yours has a bad score, you could do two things. You can call them and ask them to straighten out uh, how they're behaving, or you can move your money to one of the places that has a good score. And so we're trying to, you know, get people to take this into their own hands, uh, you know, unless and until the rules get fixed, uh, take responsibility and make sure you've got an investor that is following a more traditional approach of maximizing financial returns rather than being political with your money. And of course, um, you know, if you've got money in a self-managed account, that's a pretty good solution. If you've got money in a pension fund where you have no say at all, then that doesn't quite work for you, although you can at least call them and complain about it and, and try to shame them into maybe behaving better. So pensionpolitics.com, I'm looking at the website right now, and, and, and I mean, this looks like it's been done trying to, uh, trying to propose a methodology to score these, to score these various uh, managers and, and figure out how, how the money is being used, and I think that's important. Phil, I'm going to detour a little bit on, from what I was going to say because it, it – it, I wanted to make clear that we're not we're not telling anybody what to do about their private money. If you want to invest in in some place that pursues a woke agenda with your own dollars, great. Likewise, if you're a person like me who is a center right person and you say to yourself, "Oh man, I cannot stand what Disney's doing down in Florida. I don't want to invest in them with my own money. I can do what I want." Right? So, that's not that's not the issue. Right. That, that, that's not the issue. The issue is what happens with money that you don't have control over when your employer. OK, be it if you're a public employee like me, it's the state where it could be you're working for a large corporation and you're having money funneled into a pension fund. And that pension fund is being run by your by your employee, you know, by your employer, or somebody who your employer hires. That's kind of the that's kind of the place where you sort of need to keep looking and, and, and wonder why wouldn't you want to have this, this pecuniary rule uh, as, as it's been expressed. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about, about, you know, what's the, you know, what people do about Disney. I, I mean, it seems to me like you're sort of like, yeah, live and let live. If you want, if Disney wants to behave this way, fine, but I don't have to give them my money as an, as an investor. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, I think, I think at some point you're going to see a shareholder revolt, and uh, you're probably going to see the CEO fired. I don't think he's done a very good job, and he was supposed to be the savior coming back uh, yep. from retirement. And right. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I think there's not, you know, there's a big problem. I think when a company that makes most of its money from children's entertainment decides that they're going to go sort of woke and have all this kind of inappropriate, sexualized, gendered type content. I mean, I I can't let my kids watch Disney Plus. So, I mean, that's an insane business strategy, and you, you have to think that at some point they're going to be disciplined by you know their own shareholders, but it hasn't happened so far, and so I really wouldn't blame anyone who says, I just want to stay away from that company. And to your point, um, you know, that's 
people should make those on their, those decisions themselves with their own investment dollars. But if you're a fund manager, you're and you're in an actively managed fund, and you're deciding whether to buy Disney or not. You know, you do need to consider these issues, but you should consider them only with respect to what it means as a financial investment. I right. think you shouldn't think about you know whether you're endorsing or not endorsing particular political policies. Right. You're not you're not buying them because of the policy. You're buying them you're buying them or or not buying them because of the policy. You're buying them because or not buying them based on what the policy does to their bottom line. Right. Right. And I think that uh, and I think their current policies are pretty destructive to their business, which is why they've been struggling so much, but yeah. you know, if a fund manager wanted to say maybe I'm going to buy them now because I think they're going to be forced to make changes and I'll get a good price or something like that, you know, I, you, you got to be careful. You know, the, if the reason yep. is financial, I think it's fine, even if they end up being wrong. Uh, you know, yep. that's yep. if it's hard and consistent with, you know, the fund's investment uh, strategy. Wouldn't it be the first financial investment made uh, on the basis of trying to catch a falling knife? But, um, uh, you know, you might, you, might catch it on, you might catch it on the right spot, but uh, there's a pretty good chance you'll get cut. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of where there's – Phil, is there anything – happening since then so what's the what's been the response are we just it feels like you almost feel like the way you expressed it this topic is now until we get a change in in the white house this is what we're stuck with well i'd like to see them make another run at it obviously you can't do it as a standalone bill because you don't have enough votes to override a veto but they could try to slip it into a debt ceiling deal, try to put it on a bill to fund the government, something like that. I would like to see them do that because, you know, once you've demonstrated that you have majorities in both the House and Senate, there should be opportunities to, to get it, you know, to get it on the president's desk again, maybe in a form that he wouldn't veto. And so we've not seen anything happen since the veto other than the failed override vote. But um, I'm going to keep talking about it and try to get them to, to make another attempt, uh, you know, sometime this year. Okay. Well, Phil, I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, appreciate appreciate n- knowing more about this topic. I it's one that I you know I'm I'm at that age which normally people think consider retirement uh, time, and so I I but even for those of you who are a generation or even two generations younger than me, your money grows and it grows according to the data. It grows at a slower rate in these ESG driven funds. That's the data that comes from. From the work that, uh, that that Second Vote Analytics did, uh, uh, Professor Damadaran at uh, at uh, NYU has done some work on this. Um, that's pretty clear. So, uh, Phil, thank you for your time today, uh, and uh, have a good weekend, sir. My pleasure. Have a good one. Yeah, uh, we'll be back right after this. You are listening to the King Banyan Show on the Biz fourteen forty. out of touch, on repeat, tired of all the lookalikes? So are we. Salem News Channel is here to change the game. Streaming 24-7, free on your TV, with the greatest collection of conservative voices. Home to Dinesh D'Souza, Andrew Wilkow, Brandon Tatum, and more. Like you, we say what's wrong and what's right, unfiltered and unapologetic. Salem News Channel, we're the answer to the mainstream media. Learn more at snc.tv. 
Wesley Financial Group is not a law firm. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare. And in the process, started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. If we take you as a client, I guarantee we'll cancel your timeshare or you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit. 800-626-5252. That's 800-626-5252. 800-626-5252. Jim and I knew of Robbinsdale Women's Center, but didn't really know them until we toured. We were astonished by the amazing facilities and the genuine love and care the staff showed each woman that walked through the doors. That tour began our partnership with Robbinsdale Women's Center. Cindy and I have witnessed RWC's fiscal stewardship of our financial gifts. Being on the board has allowed me to see the careful discernment and prayerful thought that goes into every decision at Robbinsdale Women's Center. RWC receives no government funding and is debt-free. RWC owns all their assets and is 100% donor-supported. We're amazed at the number of abortion-minded women they serve. Weekly, five women, initially at risk of aborting their pregnancies, instead choose life. Join Cindy and I in supporting Robbinsdale Women's Center. Your gift will bring hope and life. Go to rwcinfo.org and help more mothers choose life. Let's make a difference. rwcinfo.org. Officer Tatum here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of emergency alert systems, keeping you advised on threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to the number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. Welcome back, King Banging Show, the Biz fourteen forty. Thank you, and thanks again to um, thanks again to uh, Phil Kirpin from American Commitment for his uh, thoughts about ESG this morning. Like I said, this is I was I grew up. I cut my teeth back in the seventies and eighties um, on the debate um, about the principal agent problem in investing, and. Uh, expressed by uh, Milton Friedman. And I've always thought that if you want what you want to do with your dollars is fine. If you decide you don't want to invest in in Disney, okay. I'd happen to think Disney, you know, but in and if you say I want to invest in Disney, go ahead. But if you're doing it and if it's your dollars and you want to do it because you want to express your opinion. If you don't want to invest in Anheuser-Busch because because uh, someone's of uh, someone's picture on a can of Bud Light, good on you. This is the, this is what, um, this is this is what capitalism is about. But when I am the person who's controlling dollars for people I don't know, I have not had the conversation with. 
my responsibility then is to invest it according to a standard and to say when I'm given that money I'm expected to earn uh, the maximum return I can on that money in a way that is that is considered moral right um, but otherwise otherwise just just maximize it it, it, does, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem very clear to me I remember ha- I had this conversation just in a meeting um, this past week with a, at, at a nonprofit where where on their investment board of this nonprofit um, not a very big nonprofit but it has it has uh, an endowment uh, that that is kept invested the question is basically what do we do with with the invested dollars and someone brought up should we should be putting our money in ESG funds and 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 I said you understand that uh, their their track record is not great um, and and they're like well well how much not great and I thought to myself since most of their dollars actually came from a single donor it's like you should maybe go ask the donor whether or not they want their funds invested, you know, applying these principles or not. Because I certainly don't think, I certainly think you were given these dollars so that you could generate revenue to further the mission of the nonprofit. Okay? Furthering some other mission is not what the donor gave you that money for. Okay, So, and I still continue to think that that's the right way to view, to view the problem. Anyway, let me step away from that because I w- did want to talk about two other things. First of all, I want to make sure I get to this. Get to this. Um, yesterday, Friday, at uh, at the Federal Reserve, at the Board of Governors uh, building, the Federal Reserve uh, System Office in D.C., um, they had a conference, uh, and the conference included a. Uh, a moderated discussion where the moderator was a member of the board staff and the two people who were on the panel were Jay Powell, the current chair of the Fed, and Ben Bernanke, former chair of the Fed. Okay, They did not bring the one between them, of course, Janet Yellen is now the Treasury Secretary. And I would argue maybe she's a little busy right now So with that debt ceiling thing. So maybe she's Maybe she's not not going to be able to say much, but and it was about a one hour long discussion. I only want to play about thirty seconds of it. Here's why: there was a, a moment in the there was a moment um, in which he is asked where where Jay Powell is asked about forward guidance. Now, forward guidance is the way in which the Federal Reserve has tried to communicate to the markets what their intentions are and what they are forecasting in terms of what's happening with inflation and employment. Sitting next to Jay Powell is Ben Bernanke, who is the father of forward guidance, really, in terms of its actual operation at the Federal Reserve. He didn't come up with the idea. That's, that, that, and that's, a, that's a long discussion of, economic, of monetary policy and monetary theory that I'll set aside. But the guy sitting next to him is the guy who who developed forward guidance. And so as I saw this clip, 
I thought to myself, you know, maybe this was the whole point of the conference because it was. It looked to me like this conference was put together fairly quickly, and a lot of it was just rehashing things that that had been said at the last FOMC press conference, had been said by people, and there's all kinds of Federal Reserve people out talking here and there. But I actually wondered if maybe, just maybe, the real signal coming out of yesterday's yesterday's event at the Fed could be wrapped up in in these these two little snippets that happened about thirty seconds apart. Let me play the first one. This is cut number one. I, I also would say though that communication comes with a cost of misrepresent misinterpretation, and it also may limit flexibility. So I think we should use forward guidance sparingly when the course of policy is either reasonably well understood or, on the contrary, is so uh, dependent on uncertain future developments that little really can be said uh, constructively about the future. Now, remember, Bernanke develops this, develops the forward guidance strategy, which includes the press conferences going not just every other meeting, but every meeting to the statement the statement of economic projections the SEP or the dot plot as it's commonly known in the vernacular right the dot plot is part of that he's sitting right next to him i mean i mean he could reach out and touch ben and and powell says hey it only works when either everybody un- it only works in places where we have Better information, more information than the rest of the market. Think about what's happening in the marketplace right now. The Federal Reserve has been, has tried to be abundantly clear that they're going to raise rates and they're going to stay raised. Indeed, Tom Barkin, uh, one of the Federal Reserve presidents, him from Richmond, uh, Virginia, says, said, hey, understand, there might be another rate increase. Now, will it happen in June? Probably not. The Federal Reserve, including a lot of the more played pieces of yesterday's Federal Reserve meeting with, with Powell reading from his notes, he really wanted to say more than anything else, look, pause is probably on the table, but we still think the next move has more is more likely to be up because we don't see inflation having come down yet. But we're going to be patient, and we're going to go meeting to meeting. Actually, you would have heard it in the news broadcast at the top of the hour, at least in the nine o'clock hour is when I remember hearing it. I didn't, I wasn't listening in the ten o'clock hour. Um, you would have heard that that piece, which was like we're doing this on a meeting by meeting basis which means they're not going to raise rates at every meeting anymore. But they're still leaning on this place. But the other part of this, which I thought was super interesting, is I can only give you information that matters in terms of forward guidance when I either know things that not all the market participants really know and when I actually do know something. So it's either... Forward guidance doesn't make sense, and it has a cost if, on the one case, on the one hand, everybody already knows this, so I'm just out reiterating something, in which case 
I'm taking my time when I could be saying something else when I don't need to. Or I'm out giving forward guidance when I'm, sorry, talking out my backside. I don't really know what's going on. And where the Federal Reserve doesn't really know what's going on. Then it's able to actually give that kind of, then it's then it's out there and you're expecting forward guidance. And basically what he has said, and I thought about this because it's happened in a couple meetings in a row now, where at times he seems to be signaling, hey, maybe you're relying a little too much on what we say rather than on your own pieces, which frankly, I don't I didn't have time to go find a clip of it. But it's something I've heard Bernanke say as well. That sometimes the market relies too much on what the Federal Reserve says. I think this is both both sobering and salutary. That the Federal Reserve is, you know, Powell's out saying, you guys might listen to us a little too much when we don't necessarily know what's going to happen, so maybe I will stop saying things that, that I don't know to be true. Well, wouldn't that be great? He continues. Let's play cut number two. So today, our guidance is limiting, limited to identifying the factors we'll be monitoring as we assess the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time. That He said a mouthful in 12 seconds. I want you to listen to it one more time. Replay cut number two. So today, our guidance is limiting, limited to identifying the factors we'll be monitoring as we assess the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time. Limited to telling you, here's what we're watching. Okay. And remember, he's reading this from notes. This phrasing is very, very careful. And the reason he's reading from notes and why it's very careful is for this reason. He doesn't want to say anything that wasn't out, did, wasn't in the FOMC statement. He's leaning toward more tightening. He wanted to make sure he said that. And the may be appropriate is that is to say, we're not saying it's going to get tighter, particularly not at the next meeting. We're leaving ourselves a little space, but we're going to tell you what we're going to watch, and you can watch it along with us. But what he said in the previous clip is, "Hey, maybe we're not going to, maybe we're not going to, um, maybe we're not going to uh, uh, raise it at every meeting." Indeed, uh, um, former uh, vice chair of the Federal Reserve, Richard Clarida, was was uh, on just after this, and uh, I believe this is from Bloomberg. No, I take that back. This is from CNBC. And had this to say, and I think this is cut three. I think that they've certainly paused. Uh, time being, yes, let's agree. Uh, uh, I don't think they want to declare a victory. It's not mission accomplished. Inflation is too uh, high. But, yeah, this was a very similar message than we got out of the press conference a couple of weeks ago. So I think that's what the, the chair wanted to convey, that, that they're going to pause uh, at the June meeting, certainly, and probably in July. Okay, now I'm less certain about July because I just think there's no way to know. There's no way to know what happens with the banks. There's, there, I mean, I certainly still believe that the debt limit increase will happen. It will happen with a, with a whole lot of shouting over the Memorial Day weekend. Okay, here's, here's my bet. Won't get solved this week. This coming week, 
won't get done. They're going to run it right up through Memorial Day weekend. They'll negotiate through the Monday of Memorial Day weekend. They'll come back on Tuesday and and everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, we're going to run out of money in two days. And, I'll, and they'll pass it with, with whatever it is that, uh, whatever the agreement is. I, I'm not going to even try to predict what's in the agreement. But suppose they don't. You can't say what happens next. We can't say what happens next. And we can't say what happens next because we don't know how, the, how households will respond to the, to the falderall that I think will happen next weekend. I need to take a break. When we come back, a comment about uh, perhaps the most underappreciated Nobel Prize winning economist um, in history, Bob Lucas, who passed away this past week at age 85. King Banyan Show, The Biz, 1440. The Biz 1440, KYCR, Golden Valley. I was nine weeks along and didn't know what else to do. I felt helpless, and I didn't want to leave it up to her, but I didn't know what to do or say. I didn't know there were other options available. I didn't know it was a baby with a beating heart at 18 days. Hello, my name is Marian Koharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America, the Billboard People. So often we get calls just like this from men and women seeking help and alternatives. Our 800 hotline connects callers to the services they need for pregnancy, adoption, as well as post-abortion assistance. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of confidential counseling or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please call 1-800-366-7773 or check us out on the web, prolifeacrossamerica.com. Pro-Life Across America is educational, non-political, and tax-deductible. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. Pro-Life Across America, the How is your car payment treating you? What if I told you you could make a free phone call right now and reduce your car payment by as much as $83 a month? Look at your car payment closely. You could be paying as high as 20% interest. Rate Genius can help you reduce your car payments by reducing your interest rate to as low as 2.48% APR. We can refinance most existing car loans or leased cars, new or used, and save you money every month. Put more money back in your pocket. The call is free to find out how low we can lower your car payment. Five minutes of your time right now could save you hundreds of dollars a year. Call Rate Genius now. 800-764-2179. 800-764-2179. That's 800-764-2179. Not all applicants qualify for a loan or rate savings. Actual offer terms, including APR, are determined at the time of your application based on creditworthiness, value of the vehicle, loan term, and other factors. Hey, folks, Eric Metaxas here. It's critical we keep AM radio in all cars and trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to the number 52886. Tell Congress we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. $40,000? $40,000? Yes. To fix up your house. You're millionaires! Yes! <laughs> you had to call me about $40,000 when I you have know. when you have almost $2 million? The Ramsey Show, live every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4. 
From Zumbrota to Zambia and Detroit Lakes to some lake in Detroit, we're where you are. Stream Twin Cities Business Radio anytime, anywhere at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, I was um, I, I was touched earlier this week, early this week, when I was in graduate school. All of the rage in macroeconomic theory, well, it was called the Rational Expectations Revolution. And it's based on a very simple idea, which was based on, as in many cases economics is, Something that's very simple. The simple thing being that people base their expectations on all the available information that's out there so that there is no systematic advantage that the government has or policymakers have versus the market when it comes to the future behavior of the economy. The only way in which policymakers can gain any advantage and is to take the economy by and economic participants by surprise by suddenly doing x y or z that causes the market causes markets to in the economy to move okay so when i played the when 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 spencer played that clip of gerber swell is talking about the five trillion dollar shock the fiscal fire hose or fiscal firepower it was shocking in its size, and the fact that it had real impact wouldn't have come as a surprise to anyone that was, you know, whereas most of us think fiscal policy doesn't really have great effects, it does unless it's really unexpected. What happened in 2020 and 2021 was really unexpected. One of the generators of that of that work was Bob Lucas. Bob Lucas uh, was an economist at the University of Chicago, uh, and um, and he passed away earlier uh, this week um, uh, at at the age again of uh, of eighty five years old, um, and um, and and one of the things that I was absolutely surprised by um, he got the Nobel in nineteen ninety five, um, and he gave a speech that per- perhaps is the best. The best uh, thing that um, uh, um, uh, best thing that I've ever seen um, uh, 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 in terms of his speech was like about when he won the Nobel Prize. People get up and they give these speeches. So I always make make a joke about about how much smarter uh, 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 um, Krugman became after he won the Nobel Prize, right? But but Paul Krugman got up and gave a speech that was like 20, 30 minutes, many did. The speech that was given by, the speech that was given by, uh, by, by, uh, um, by uh, Bob Lucas, in contrast, was less than two minutes long. Okay? It was less than two minutes long. And it's important to think about what it was that he did. Um, what he did was really focus us on getting, stop talking about 
as I frequently talk about on the show, the day-to-day, week-to-week movements in, in financial markets or different policies. What Lucas really did was get us to think more about productivity and get us to think about growth. Because he's famous for the phrase, once you start thinking about economic growth and economics, it's hard to think about anything else. And I think that that has actually been something that I have been motivated by pretty much throughout my career. Um, Lucas was the person that got me to spend time. I went to, the, I went to graduate school thinking I was going to just study the Federal Reserve. I've ended up doing a lot of work thinking about developing economies and local economies because I got fascinated by growth in the same way that he did. And here's the quote. Is there some action a government of India could take? This is from 1988. Is there some action a government of India could take that would lead the Indian economy to grow like Indonesia's or Egypt's? If so, what exactly? If not, what is it about the nature of India that makes it so? The consequences for human welfare involved in questions like these are simply staggering. Once one starts to think about them, it's hard to think about anything else. I find myself motivated to think about that even on a local level. Once I start thinking about what made central Minnesota grow, I find it hard to stop thinking, to think about much of anything else. Um, and it's what has driven a, a lot of what I believe. The other thing about, about, about Lucas was he was so great at explaining things. He was so great at, at writing um, he, and, and was extraordinarily generous with his time. The encomiums from uh, very famous people like uh, uh, John Cochran, who we've quoted on this show frequently, uh, for Bob Lucas are, are, are just splendid. And I encourage you to go learn more about him. Um, a tower in, in the field of economics. Um, we, I don't think we'll see the likes of him anytime in the near future. I want to thank you for listening today. We will be here next week for Memorial Day weekend, so you'll want to be here too at the King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Looking for a new way to give back to your community, learn new skills, and make a real difference? Consider volunteering with your local fire department. The majority of U.S. firefighters and emergency responders are volunteers, answering the call when their community needs them. Be part of a dedicated team of volunteers who step up and protect their community from all types of hazards. You can be the difference. There's no typical firefighter. Anyone can volunteer to serve their community. Volunteering as a first responder is really about having the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. Aside from helping your community and being there for those in need, being a member of the Volunteer Fire Service provides many benefits, including an opportunity to learn new skills and join a family that will serve with you, always have your back, and train you to be the best version of yourself. Your community needs you. Will you answer the call? Learn more and find a local volunteer opportunity at makemeafirefighter.org. That's makemeafirefighter.org. Over 50,000 police officers are assaulted on the job each year, leading to injuries and death. This is the reality they deal with when making contact with the public. Another reality is that if someone doesn't comply with a lawful order or uses force against them, police may have to use sufficient force in response to obtain compliance. Use of force is always ugly. Nobody likes it, especially police, and nobody knows how it will turn out. Spread the word. For de-escalation to work, both parties must de-escalate. 
and de-escalation isn't necessary if there is no escalation. Help police by not escalating. Don't attack or try to disarm an officer, whether it's getting asked a question, getting a citation, or getting arrested. Don't argue, don't resist, don't flee. After the encounter has been resolved is the time to address any complaints. Comply now, complain later. Keep everybody safe. This message brought to you by the National Police Association. To learn more about how to help law enforcement accomplish its goals, visit nationalpolice.org. We noticed we had a leak in our roof. Hey, I'm Brenda from Stillwater, Minnesota. We noticed some water staining in our ceiling by our chimney. This is our first time working with JTR Roofing. A close friend had recommended them and had a great experience. They ended up replacing our roof and performed the work on our chimney. I would recommend JTR Roofing because they were reliable, friendly, there were no hidden costs in their quotes, and the craftsmanship was outstanding. Not only did they do an outstanding job on our home, but also they support the community. They've had a good reputation in the 30 years that they've been in business. And just overall, it was just a wonderful experience working with the company. I was absolutely satisfied with the work. Absolutely. We're thinking about having our windows replaced and we will be calling JTR. Go to JTRRoofingInc.com. That's JTRRoofingInc. Sensible business talk for the... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.